Hey. Hey. Are you ready to go? You ready to go? Yeah. You look lovely tonight. Well, thank you. <laughs> Still gonna be able to eat it, or? Oh, well, tonight was, um... Yeah, it was really something. Uh, I loved you. What? What? No, I don't love you. <laughs> I don't love you. Um... Hey, Cornerstone. How you doing? All right, so you probably caught on. We're in the middle of a dating series. As you can tell by the video, dating can sometimes be really, really awkward. And uh, today we're going to get extra awkward because today we're going to have the talk. How, how many of you remember your parents having the talk with you? Anyway, how, how many people, I was surprised last, I asked this last hour, how many people your parents never had the talk? They were just, look at that, they were just too freaked out. They just never had the talk. That is mind-blowing, man. So here's a good look at We're not going to have the talk. We're going to have the talk chapter two. Uh, we're going to have the part of the talk that I guarantee you almost none of our parents ever had with us. Our friends never told us. But it's probably the most important part of the talk. But we never got there because it got too weird and too freaky. Uh, I remember uh, my mom had never had the talk with me. And so I said, hey, I'm going to do better than that. And so when Josh was about 10... We were riding along uh, together, father-son moment. I just said, Josh, there's something I need to tell you. And I started having the talk. And about halfway through, uh, Josh just goes, stop. Stop. And I go, Josh, no, there's more. Stop. Uh, a couple years ago when Josh started to get married, you know, I, I went to him. I said, hey, Josh, you know, I, your honeymoon's coming up. You know, there's probably some things I could, you know, pointers I could give. And he's like, he's like, dude. Do not. I am so still freaked out from when I was 10. Don't even, don't even start the talk with me right now. Uh, but today, uh, we're going to do the talk. We're just going to do chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to do the part. Matter of fact, it's really interesting because the passage of Scripture that we're going to go through over and over and over again, Paul's going to say to you and me, didn't anybody ever tell you this? Don't, don't you know? I mean, this is, this is just basic information that everybody ought to understand. And are you telling me that no one has ever told you the talk, uh, chapter two, and you and I are going to, uh, be surprised at what scripture says and hopefully, uh, changed by what scripture says. You realize as we begin to do this, that what the world says about our sexuality, uh, that it's, it's just, it's just a physical thing between two people. It's just, it's just two bodies finding, uh, some level of mutual gratification that really sex is not something to be too hung up about or too weird about. It's something you share with whoever you want to share it. Uh, you can be with whoever you want to be. And when you're done being with them, then you can discard them and move on to the next person that you're going to do. Uh, before you get married, you're going to test drive the car. Just, look, look, look. It's not a big deal. And, and, it's, and it's just religion. It's just uh, people that are really hung up that have tried to make this thing into something that's important and, and, and sacred. It's just not. It's, it's just biological. You, you get that God's answer to this could not be more different. That God's going to come to us and say, 
this is this is so much more important than that. This is so this has so much more impact and implication in your life. Matter of fact, this thing is sacred. This this moment between a man and a woman is something that cannot and should not be replicated in any other venue at any other time with any other person. This is precious. Matter of fact, uh, here's something that's interesting. When you get to Genesis chapter 4, and it's the first time that sex is mentioned uh, in the Bible, it simply says this in most of our modern versions. It says, and Adam made love to Eve. It's unfortunate because here's the problem. The word that's actually used there in the original Hebrew is a word that you and I in English don't even have a word for. Uh, it's actually the Hebrew word kadah, and Adam, kadah, Eve. And there, there's something in this word that I, I don't even know that I can help you uh, get it or describe it fully. What it means is that there's this moment between Adam and Eve in which there is this unbelievable connection. And this connection, this bonding, this, this coming together isn't just on a physical level. It's on an emotional level and it's on a spiritual level. And it's saying that something unbelievable, something incredible happened in this kadah moment between Adam and Eve. Matter of fact, early translators of the Bible trying to capture this a little bit didn't say, hey, Adam and Eve made love or had sex. They said, and Adam knew Eve. It's as if their entire personhood mingled with each other's personhood and there was this unbelievable connection on every level. Here's the closest I can give you to a kadah moment. Every parent, every parent who has held their child in their arms for the first time, and you look down to that little teeny human, and suddenly you instantly love them, you instantly feel this sense of huge responsibility for them, and you have this connection that's beyond anything you can describe, and that moment is kadah. And God says... That's what's supposed to transpire between a man and a woman when they come together sexually. This is not common, God would say. This is sacred. Which means, you ready for this? If God's right, if this is sacred, then it has to be treated with care. It cannot be given away indiscriminately. It can't be treated as if it's cheap and not of value. It is sacred. Years ago, Lisa and I were living in Southern Cal. And uh, we had bought our first kind of real house. And you know what that means. Uh, you buy the house and then you spend the next seven years trying to landscape it. And uh, so we were trying to do that. And my dream, I had a dream, I mean, I had a dream that in the courtyard in the front of our house, we were going to put a massive fountain. I mean, just a huge, it was going to be the, the, the statement piece of our entire house. But of course, we're living in Southern Cal. I'm a youth pastor. We have no money. We can't even come close to affording a fountain. And how's that going to work? And one day, Lisa and I are driving down the road and we see on the side a banner that says fountains half price. And so we pull over and I sit and I say, the guy, guy, I have to have a statement piece fountain. And he took me all the way to the back and there was this massive fountain that belonged like in front of a hotel. There was this massive fountain in the back. And I said, that's it. That's the statement piece. And I literally took every penny that Lisa and I had to our name. I mean, I wiped us out 
buying the fountain. Now, here's the problem. I had no money to install it. So I've got the fountain, just no water. So I took the pieces of the fountain and I carefully placed each one on the side of our house, waiting for the time that I could save enough money to have the fountain installed. I come home one day. I begin to walk through the courtyard. And there in the courtyard is the fountain, broken into thousands of pieces. I go inside and I call Lisa. I say, Lisa, someone has vandalized our house. To which she says, no, it was just your son. What, What happened? Well, your son, seeing the pieces on the side of the house and saw that they had stayed there so long, decided they must not be important. Apparently, we didn't have any plans for them. So he took them because they were the perfect Star Wars village. And he created this whole homestead area. And then he brought his X-wing bombers in to bomb the village. And so they took some of the bigger pieces of the fountain and they were down on the... And thousands of pieces... My son was six. My son had no idea how precious the fountain was to me. He thought it was common, something not to be valued. Here's my fear. My fear is that in our sexuality, we had no idea how precious this gift was from God. We thought it was common, and so we have treated it as common. And we have taken what was intended to be one of the greatest blessings of our lives and we have broken it up. Because we just didn't know. And so I'm just telling you to look, 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 look. I don't care. And, and it may be possible in your life and you come in and you say, as we have this conversation, you go, man, Lynn, I, ha- I have just done this so wrong for so much of my life. I don't care how you came. I care how you leave. And I'm just saying to you today that somewhere we're going to make a decision. Is this, is this just about two physical bodies coming together and rubbing together to make each other satisfied? Or is this maybe one of the most precious sacred gifts that God has ever given? And if it's sacred, then you and I need to treat it like it's sacred. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. And if you're not familiar today, if you go to the back of your Bible, if you work to the left, you're going to find this uh, passage, this book of 1 Corinthians. It's a conversation that the Apostle Paul has with the church there in Corinth, walking through this conversation to say, hey, this is, this is different than you thought. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's go to verse 18. Here's what it says. Flee. Run away, run away, run away. Run away. Run away uh, from sexual immorality. All other sins that a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against your own body. Don't you know? Didn't your parents tell you this? Didn't anyone ever sit down when they were having the talk with you? Didn't they tell you about chapter 2? Don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? Now, here's what's interesting. 
Paul says to you and me, hey, guys, guys, you get this, right? You get that this sin, this sin of, of taking my sexuality and sharing it like it's cheap, giving it away to anybody that I have any affection. He says, you realize this sin is different. It's different than every other sin because this sin is a sin against your body. Now, on first reading, I go, whoa, 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 Paul, wait a minute. Uh, what do you mean by that? Because I can think of a lot of sins that would be against my body. What about somebody who's a cutter? Wouldn't that be a sin against your body? What about somebody who struggles with uh, gluttony? Wouldn't that be a sin against the body? What about suicide? Suicide would surely be a sin against the body. But here's what you need to know. When Paul is referring here to the body, he's not referring to flesh and bone. He's referring to something completely different and more important. Watch this. When Paul writes this passage, he's got several Greek words that he can choose from. And Paul could have used the word sarx, which equals flesh and bone. Uh, He could have said, hey, uh, this is a sin against your physical body. He does not use that word. Instead, Paul, when he says this is a sin against your body, uses the word word soma, which really means entire. Now, you and I in the English, we do this once in a while. We use the word body like this. So in other words, sometimes you and I might say, hey, it's the entire body of water. It's not just part of the lake, it's the entire lake. It's not an alcove, it's not a harbor, it's the entire body of water. Sometimes we'll say about an author, it's the body of his work. And what we mean by that is it's everything he's ever written. It's it's his work in its entirety. You get what Paul just said. Be careful, be careful, be careful when you talk about sexual sin. When you think about participating in sexual sin, when you make this casual, when you make this thing flippant, because here's what you need to know, it's different than every other sin, because this sin, this sin is the one sin that is against everything that is you. It is against your very personhood. And this sin will change you. Now you say, well, how does that work? I mean, what, you know, what, what, what's going on there? Remember in Genesis, when God is creating us, he creates us different than animals. And guys, I just need to hear this. This conversation is about, are you an animal or are you a human? As you and I sit with secular humanists and people who lean toward an evolutionary view of the world, here's what they're saying. Hey, since you're just a higher level of animal, then it doesn't matter because animals have sex indiscriminately. So since you're just a higher form of animal, you can have sex indiscriminately. Matter of fact, a lot of psychologists today are coming back and saying, hey, this whole idea of monogamy, it makes no sense because animals are not monogamous for the most part. The truth is you've got genes in you and those genes are saying, hey, you know, go wherever you can go as much as you can go, spread your seed. That's true. That's true if you're an animal. But in Genesis, when God is creating, remember what he does in that moment. He creates the animals, he creates the trees, he creates the stars, he creates all that. And then he stops 
And he says something really remarkable. He says, let us create man in our own image. So watch what happens. Okay, that's a dog. It's either a dog or it's a sheep with scoliosis. It's one of the two. I went to seminary, not to art school. Okay, so when God created the animals, okay, you realize animals are created in two parts. An animal has the physical body and they have a soul. Uh, the soul is the part that makes the animal alive. It's why you look in their eyes and there's something there. It's why an animal can show affection toward you. Plants do not have soul. You cannot have a relationship with a plant. Okay? But you can with a dog or an animal or you can because there is a soulishness to them. There is a living part of them that is capable of some level of relationship. Animals have two parts. You and I are not animals. When God created us in his image, remember? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune, three parts. He created you and me with three parts. And every human has a body, a soul, but you also have a spirit. This spirit part is what makes you unique and different from animals. I. The best way to describe it, it's your moral compass. It's your conscience. It's the thing that says, hey, wait a minute. I'm not sure that's the right thing to do. I, I, you know, whoa, 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 whoa. That moral, that, that thing that you and I would call conscience is the very image of God in you. It's why. You ready for this? You're walking down the street. You come up to an alley. You turn the corner and there's two dogs having sex. The dogs do not blush. They don't. Have you ever noticed that? The dogs don't blush because they have no moral consciousness. See, no dog is sitting there going, I don't know why I didn't share my bone. You know, Fido's really a good guy and he never did anything bad. And then I was selfish and there was more than enough bone to go around and I had to have it all for myself. No image of God in an animal. Here's the interesting thing. You walk around that corner, step into that alley, see two dogs having sex. The dogs don't blush, but chances are you do. Oh, 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 right? Spirit of God. Spirit of God in you. Because the answer is, you ready for this? You are not an animal. Which is why sex can never just be physical. Animals can have sex and it just be physical because they don't have spirits. But you can never have sex like a dog. Because you're not a dog. Which suddenly changes the whole conversation. Let's go back to the passage. And just compare, just look at the difference between what God says is happening here and what the world says is happening. So go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you close your Bibles, get to the back, work to the front. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, starting... In verse 13. Here we go. Here's what it says. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, 
but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And he just, you just starting off really, really simple. Here's what he's saying. Look, look, look. Your stomach was made for food. That's what it was created for and to do. You're supposed to put food in your stomach. That's what the stomach is for. And food, food is there so you have something to eat. That's the design. And then he says, you ready? But your body was never designed for sexual immorality. Never. That's never supposed to be part of it. Matter of fact, when you do this, you're going to cause all sorts of regret. You're going to cause all sorts of damage. You will be changed if you use your body for sexual immorality. Because it was never built for that. Back to the passage. Verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Verse 15. Don't you know? Didn't your parents tell you this? I mean, didn't, didn't anybody ever go to chapter two about your sexuality? It, it's one thing, it's one thing to know the function. But no one explained to you the stewardship? Hasn't anybody ever told you this, Paul says? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them to a prostitute? And he says, no, not a chance. Now think about this. If there was ever a time in which you could have a purely physical relationship, wouldn't it be a moment in which a man hires a prostitute? Because look, 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 everybody understands what's going on. This is purely a business transaction, right? I'm paying to get pleasure. She's receiving payment for services rendered. I mean, come on, come on, come on. If there was ever a time that you could simply have sex and it be only physical, wouldn't it be with a prostitute? And yet Paul comes back and says, absolutely not. You would never do this because, here's what you need to know. When you have sex, you unite. And you go ahead and land, no, 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 I didn't unite with the prostitute. I mean, that's not what that was about. It was just about being physical. And Paul says, that's impossible. Here's why. Because your spirit is sticky. Your spirit's sticky. There is something in your spirit that longs for Kadah. It longs for that connection. And God built it to be sticky. And there's no way for you to turn off your spirit when you get in bed with somebody. It will go to that bed sticky. And it will function the way that your spirit was designed to function. It will begin to bond, whether you want it to or not, to the other person. This is why when you say, hey, it's friends with benefits, and pretty soon she says, well, could we define the relationship? She's sticky. Her spirit has begun to move and feel adherence. And now things are changing because she cannot deny the spirit in her. He cannot deny the spirit in him. And here's why that's critical. Your soul is sticky like tape. And so now you're dating. And uh, your boyfriend's been pressuring and saying, hey, we ought to do this. And you said, well, my mom told me I'm not supposed to do this until I find somebody that I truly love. And I, you know, I think I love you, but I haven't decided. But, well, I guess it's been two years. And so now all of a sudden, you sleep together. 
Uh, he ends up graduating before you. He goes off to college, and so now it's your second boyfriend, and this time it doesn't take quite so long to persuade you because you've already been there, and you've already uh, done that before, and so now you sleep together again. Then you go to college. You spend the next six or seven years dating... Something's changed. Uh, he was raised that uh, the way you become a man is you bed as many women as you possibly can. So you consume the girl so that you can become. And so he spent uh, most of his young adult life trying to establish his manhood. Not knowing... That every time he was in bed with another girl, even though he didn't feel the emotional connection, he still took his spirit with him. And something changed. And now they find each other and they're married. And something just isn't how they always imagined it would be. See, I, singles, there are married people in this room right now going... Oh. You realize what God was trying to do. God said, no, 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 no. You don't share this ahead of time. See, you, you save this for the one. You don't, you don't remove the tackiness of your soul. The amazing thing is two people who've waited to give this expression to one another uniting in the marriage bed. Kadah. Kadah. An unbelievable, beyond words, explanation, connection. Between a man and a woman because souls unite. Back to the passage. <clears throat> Verse uh, 16. Do you not know? I mean, didn't your parents explain this? I, surely your friends, your friends told you, be careful because this is a big deal. Didn't anybody ever tell you this? This is chapter 2 on your sexuality. And you don't know this? Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. Land, wait, wait. There's no one flesh going on. What, what are you talking about? I... I where are you coming from on this? And God says, look, look, look. Here's what you don't understand. God says, I designed sex to be a covenant promise between a man and a woman. And when you're in the marriage bed, when you're acting out this covenant promise physically, you are making solemn oaths to one another. Let me see if I can help you with that. 
Why do we take communion? I mean, think about it. Why do we take it? Because here's a little look. Nobody ever became a Christian taking communion. You're going, well, then I know. No. You realize we bought that grape juice at Fry's? No one ever became a Christian drinking Fry's grape juice. Why do we do it? Here's why we do it. Because we play at. at every couple, to, you know, couple months, we stop and we play at. And, and remember it says, Jesus said, hey, when you take this bread, it's my... When you take this cup, it's my... And what we're play-acting, what we're reminding ourselves in that moment when we take communion is, hey, I needed a Savior. I couldn't go to church enough. I couldn't be a good enough person. I needed Jesus to come into my life and save me. That's what communion... It's a play-act of your faith. Why do we baptize people? Nobody gets saved being baptized, guys. It's Chandler water. You won't even drink Chandler water. How would it save you? It's a play act. And here's what happens when we baptize you. We stick you in the water, and what you're declaring is, I believe Jesus lived. When we bury you under the water, you're saying, I believe that Jesus died. When we raise you out of the water, you're saying, I believe that Jesus rose again. This is not a fairy tale. I have put my faith in Jesus. And you're play acting your faith. That's why we baptize you. God gave us sex. Why did he make it the way he made it? Why did he give us the plumbing that he gave us? I mean, think about it a minute. What if, what if she could get pregnant just by breathing on her? I guess make it a lot easier, right? It'd save a lot of complications, a lot of struggles. Why did he make it the way he made it? Because, you ready for this? Because when a man is with a woman, when a woman is with a man, and the bodies fit together, guess what they're saying? It is my covenant promise to be one with you. In the midst of all the fun, in the midst of all the enjoyment, I am renewing my promise that there is no one else in my life like you. You are the one that I choose to be one with. Isn't this, Think about this, guys. Isn't this interesting? Every other animal, they got fur on them, they got feathers on them, they got scales on them. When you and I have sex, we're naked. Because we were for this? Because God wanted us to stand in front of each other, fully seen and fully known, and choose to be one. It's an unbelievable expression of becoming one. And it's a promise given. Ladies, here's why you don't make that promise multiple times. I want you to imagine for a minute, ladies, that you get engaged. You finally found the guy. He finally got down on one knee. It took seven years, but he got down on one knee. And he gives you a ring. Now, you know what women do the second they get a ring, right? They can't wait to go to the next gathering... And when they walk into the gathering, they walk different than they've ever walked before. <laughs> oh, you noticed. Oh. And I want you to imagine that just for a minute, all our girlfriends are gathering around. And they're going, ooh, and ah. Oh, and nobody's mentioning that it's this ball. No one's saying anything. There's, oh, it's so great. He loves you. And imagine for a moment that one of her girlfriends takes a look at the ring and gets weird 
And she kind of slinks off to the side and just kind of... And after a little while, you go walking over to your girlfriend and you go, Hey, wait, 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 wait. Why are you being weird? Aren't you excited for me? And here's what your friend says to you. I am excited. But I recognize the ring. That ring is the same ring he gave to Jennifer when they were engaged. Ladies, what are you doing next? Take your stinking ring. Get me a ring for me, ring. Why do women feel that way about a ring? A ring is metal, stone. And ladies, you are way more precious than a ring. Why would you ever let men pass you around? Men, why would you ever break that one covenant? What, how powerful is it to come to the wedding night and say, I'm going to say that I love you in a way that I have never expressed that love to any other human in the world. Because this is our one covenant act. Back to the passage. Verse 18. Flee. This is the passage we started with. Flee. Run away, run away, run away, run away, run away. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Hey, guys, 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 guys. Think about this for a minute. How many other times in the Bible do you see God tell you and me to flee? Isn't it true that on almost every other sin and almost every other occasion, God says, stand. Hey, in that moment you're getting persecuted for your faith, stand. Take it on the chin. Hey, in that moment when it feels convenient to lie, stand and tell the truth. Hey, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. You're feeling a moment of compromise? No, 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 no. Step up. Stand. Live that moment right. Isn't it interesting that in this case, God says, run away, run away, run away. Because, because, because. There's too much at stake. And getting this wrong even one time is too expensive. So if you see this moment, run away. Hey, ladies, try that next time you're on a date. Gets a little bit heated, things are going a little way, and just, ah! and run away. Just run out of the room. If that guy keeps dating you after that, he's a good guy. Now, you, you know what I'm saying, right? It's saying, truth is as if you're a gazelle and you just looked in the weeds and saw a cheetah. Run. 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 And then, here we go, verse 19. Do you not know? Did your parents never tell you this? Did no one ever finish the conversation? Did you never read chapter 2? That your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Here's the interesting part. Everything we've said so far applies to you whether you're a Christian or not. See, you go into that relationship and you're going to bond. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to bond because you have a spiritual side. Uh, You go play act that out, you're going to take that one covenant and you're going to give that away cheaply and insignificantly. 
The best thing you could possibly do is run away from sexual sin. All of this applies to people who haven't even figured out Jesus yet. But in this moment, Paul turns to you and me who know Christ, and here's how he finishes the conversation. Don't you know? Don't you know that when you became a Christian, when you accepted the payment of Jesus on the cross for your sins, he paid for all of you, and you no longer own yourself. That that every time someone says to you, hey, it's your own life, do whatever you want, that's a lie if you're a Christian. It's not your life. Your life was bought. Therefore, honor God with your life. Because it's not your life. It's his. I heard this interesting story. A guy who was 46 was living at home with his mom who was 88. And over the course of 70 years, seven years, I'm sorry, seven years, he embezzled $90,000 from his own mom. When the police came to arrest him and charged him with five felonies and they were dragging him to the squad car, here's what he said in his defense. But I was going to inherit it anyways. To which the police said, but it wasn't yours yet. Which makes you a thief. You realize that when you and I as Christ followers take our bodies and give them when they don't belong to us, it makes us a thief. Because the reality is, Our bodies belong to Christ, and they are the gift he is going to give to our spouse on the wedding night as one of his amazing blessings to them. And you and I have no right to steal the gift of God and give it to someone it doesn't belong to. That would be stealing. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm going to ask our single adults in the room today to make a stand. Literally, in just a moment or two, I'm going to ask you to physically stand and make a commitment that says, hey, look, from this day forward, I simply choose to honor God with my sexuality. And I get it. I get what I'm asking is a big deal because some of us in this room, uh, you're here with the person you live with. And I know, I know that's just economic and you sleep in the other room. Some of us have no idea. I mean, did they hear the same thing I heard? And would they understand the decision I made? Your relationship could change in just a few moments if you stand and they don't. Some of you are going to have to leave here today, make a phone call and say, Hey, I was in church and I, I made this decision and it's going to change our relationship. And I don't know if you're even going to want a relationship with me because of my decision. I know there are some in this room right now and you're feeling really, really guilty because you're going, Lynn, I have lived this so much like the world and I just have fouled this up until now. I don't care how you came. I care how you leave. And I'm just telling you, one of the most powerful things you could do is you on your wedding night to be able to go to your spouse and say, hey, three years ago I was sitting in this church service and there was this kind of loud preacher. I don't remember his name. But what he said spoke to my heart. And so from that day forward, I held this promise for you till I could give it to you on our wedding night because I wanted you to know how deeply I cherish 
and how sacred you are to me. That'd be a good wedding night. So I'm just going to ask us to have the courage to stand. So let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm just praying for all of our single adults in the room who right now have got to be feeling hugely uncomfortable. And God, I'm, I'm praying for the ones who haven't been living this well. I'm praying for the ones who maybe have lived all the way till now doing this right and that they would just reaffirm that promise. They'd just say, hey, I've been... I've been living this way, but I'm just going to publicly declare that this is how I'm going to finish. I'm going to live the rest of my life this way. But God, fill our hearts right now. Help us, help those of us who need to stand to simply stand. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If what we've been saying today has been for you, I need you to stand. I want you just to stand where you're at. Say, this is, this is my moment. Look at that. Wow. Wow. Okay, so no, 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 stay standing. So for for those of you who are standing, here's what I'm just gonna say: honor, honor, because I guarantee standing didn't come cheap. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say to you, honor, go live this well. It doesn't matter how you came; it matters how you go. Okay. For the rest of us, instead of us all running off like we do sometimes at the end, I think the most powerful thing you and I could do is stand with them. So I'm going to ask you to stand where you're at and just say, hey, we're with you. We're proud of you. And I want us just to end this time together in a song of worship, just declaring, hey, this is, this is where we stand.